Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner for the Next Step Journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, spiritual growth, vocation, or even your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. Welcome again to Next Step Leadership Podcast. Uh, Chris Maxwell and Tracy Reynolds engaging in conversations about people that we want to continue learning life from. Tracy, uh, it's good to be together, and I'm so excited about today's guest. Absolutely. We're, you know, we've been doing this long enough now that to have return guests is a real privilege. And I, Does that mean that they did not do well the first time around and we want to give them another well, we chance? We've a lot of grace so and give well them second chances, we, Chris. That's what we're all about. It's redemption. No. What it means is somebody that uh, I think they're giving us much. a second chance. Right? <laughs> somebody that means very much to us and well, uh, has well, had a big influence in our lives. Exactly. And we certainly have Doug Beecham. Dr. Beecham has been, uh, he's a friend before he's all these other things, but he is our leader in that he is the general superintendent of the International Pentecostal Holiness Church, uh, a position he has held and done admirably for over 10 years. And he's served uh, also in an executive director capacity in world missions, as well as church education. And when I first met you, Dr. Beecham, it was you were the uh, the general, the conference superintendent of the Georgia Conference in the IPHC. So that was three or four days ago. Yeah. But well, welcome back, Dr. Beecham. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Chris and Tracy. Yeah, that that was in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> <laughs> I think about the fact my my two granddaughters were they both were born in the 21st century. And for them growing up, anything prior to 2000 is ancient. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I, I thought about it. I, I was born in 1949. I'm on the other side of halfway of the 20th century. <laughs> but, and, uh, you know, I, I walk through cemeteries sometimes for relaxation. And, uh, and I enjoy looking at graves and particularly mm-hmm. old cemeteries. Right. And uh, the... You look at when somebody was born, when they died, and I have enough knowledge of uh, of American history to have a framework of you know, okay, what was the world like when they mm-hmm. uh, when they were living, when they died, when you know what what uh, you know all, all those kinds of factors, and uh, we live in a very different time today. Yeah, and somebody somebody a hundred years from now will walk through. And look at all of us mm-hmm. and think, you know, what was the world like for them? And uh, I, I think we've talked about this before. I, Tolkien is one of my uh, favorite writers, and I've read uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. But I found, uh, I went back through The Lord of the Rings the other day and found a quote that really gave me a sense of hope about the time in which we live. Uh, this is Frodo. Frodo says to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. Mm. And Gandalf replied, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Mm. And 
I thought about that in conjunction with uh, a comment in the Psalms. The Psalter says, uh, says my times are in his hands. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we are people who, who believe that uh, there are no accidents in, in, in our, our being born in, in this period of human history. Which, uh, which to me says that God knew what He was doing. Mm. That uh, not necessarily that that any of us are a solution to anything, but that uh, we we don't need to despair about what's happening in That's the good. world, what's happening in the uh, much of the uh, biological confusion in our culture today. Uh, we really are living in a. A, a, a postmodern kind of world. We're living in a world where uh, uh, where truth is is uh, so relative to what one feels, uh, and and yet we're giving the opportunity. God didn't make a mistake for for us to be given the opportunity to be witnesses uh, to the truth, to the light, to His love, and uh, I just I take great comfort in that. Uh, that there are times I have to admit to you, I, I wish in the role I'm in right now, you know, some of the, the factors I have to deal with. And uh, I've, I've learned, I've learned that anything I say or do. So I'm really careful on Facebook, by the way, or even Twitter. <laughs> I'm even careful, Chris, about comments I make about football games. And uh, <laughs> that, uh, uh, I've, I've learned, I've learned that anything I say or do reflects on the denomination. Yeah, uh, I don't. I, I don't have a private voice, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so there are times when you know when you look at what's going on in the world and you want to say something. I have to remind myself: okay, my assignment is to be faithful. Number one, to Scripture. Mm-hmm. Number two, to be faithful to the theological and the uh, uh, particular social. Uh, positions that our particular movement has taken and affirmed and uh, and and work from that standpoint uh, to, to speak in a way that as the Apostle Paul put it speaking the truth in love in love yeah uh, now the problem with that is that uh, the issue of truth number one is is highly debatable uh, among many who would hear our voice. And, and then the second is love is highly debatable. Mm. Uh, if, you know, it's a loving thing for me to say to, to, to my granddaughters, don't, don't get too close to the fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to get away from that. But granddaddy, I want to play with blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's not loving to say, Oh, go ahead. You can, you know, right. uh, just because you've got a long sleeve shirt on that dangs off your arms uh, that doesn't mean you've got to be worried about getting too close to the coals. You go ahead and have fun. Well, that's not love. And, and, and love, love sometimes uh, is telling the truth. Yeah. Uh, obviously one spirit, but at the same time, uh, the, the reality of, of what we say and how we say it mm. has, to, has to somehow gel in a way that the Holy Spirit can take in somebody's life and, and maybe, maybe give them an opportunity to pause and think, okay, why did I react this way? What, why, 
Uh, and, and, you know, I, I just think that's a challenge we live with. It's no different than anybody, any other generation. You know, I'm reading a, um, I'm reading the, uh, unauthorized biography of, uh, the late British prime minister, Margaret Thatcher, uh, three volumes. I'm in the first volume. This is when she's a younger girl. And, and there's a quote in there. Uh, and actually the quote came from, uh, uh, my wife and I, what well, got me doing this, this is the second time we've been watching The Crown on Netflix. And uh, especially after, you know, the death of the Queen uh, last year and those kinds of things. Uh, but Margaret Thatcher makes a quote in there in The Crown, and then I've gone and I've, I've found it in terms of uh, of this, bi- this biography of her, that she says her father, who happened to be a lay Methodist preacher, uh, her father said to her, God needs no faint hearts for his ambassadors. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good line. It is. Uh, especially when you think about how Paul, the Apostle Paul uses the language of being an ambassador for Christ in Second Corinthians. And Second Corinthians is, is a book where, where he's very open about talking about the struggles he faced and he even despaired of, of life. And uh, uh, he contrasts uh, what he emotionally was going through and yet what God enabled him to do through that. So uh, I, I think it's important that we who, whether we're in, uh, you know, quote, official kind of ministry positions are, are we're just trying to be disciples to serve Jesus in our generation, that we realize it's not a mistake that we're here. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, it's not an accident that we were born here and not in North India, for instance. Somehow in God's providence, mm-hmm. that doesn't make us any better than anybody else. That's it, right. it certainly gives us, uh, in some instances, perhaps in the majority of instances, it gives us a, a better opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, to use a contemporary word, to be, to be privileged. Well, there are privileged people. It's just a fact of mm-hmm. life. It's always privileged people. And, uh, and always will be. Mm-hmm. And the issue is, what do you do with that? Do mm-hmm. you use that to manipulate uh, for your own continued uh, uh, sustainability and, uh, uh, and and your own place of, of privilege, or do you use it in a different way? I'm also reading a biography of Florence Nightingale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it's, and talk about somebody who was privileged. Her, her family was a very wealthy uh, British family. And in the 1830s and 40s and 50s, she, particularly the 1830s and 40s, as she's growing up, he makes a decision uh, that, that she doesn't want to pursue the, the role of Victorian women who came from her social class with their wealth and her privilege. She doesn't want to live that way. Now, her younger sister chooses to live that way. Uh, And there's tension between them for a while, and ultimately that gets reconciled. But Florence Nightingale uses some of her, a lot of her own resources. Uh, She was uh, incredibly significant. Uh, While the British were bogged down in the Crimean War, and the news reports were coming back of so many British soldiers who were dying. They weren't dying from uh, from the gunshots of Russian forces. They they were they were dying from disease and from 
being in crowded and uh, unkempt uh, hospitals. And, and she really becomes the central figure as a nurse. I, I didn't realize this. It, uh, prior, prior to her, nursing was in two categories. You were either a Roman Catholic nun who was a nurse uh, and, and that you were held in high regard or you were viewed as a prostitute. Hmm. And, and, and so nursing was not a distinguished career. She almost single-handedly changes that. She, she's writing in the, in the 1850s about how to take care of people. And, and after the Crimean War, the same problems were happening among the British up in, in India. And, and her books become so significant that by, by the early 1860s, her books are being read as for us in the United States. Union armies and Confederate armies are gathering together. They've never get, they have not gathered like that on that scale ever in American history. Even, even the American Revolution, they didn't gather on that scale. And in the War of 1812, they didn't gather on that scale. And the Indian Wars, they didn't gather on that scale. Masses of, of men predominantly coming together with, with no, in the early 18, 18, uh, 1861 period, no awareness of hygiene. Even when they were coming to Washington, D.C., uh, no awareness of of what was going on in the camps. They should have read the Old Testament. They should have read what what uh, Moses laid out. Okay, this is how the camp works. Because yeah. he had probably a million plus at a minimum that he's leading out. And he, and he says, okay, you're over there, you're over there. And if you have uh, discharges or whatever the case may be, it's way over there. <laughs> if they had read their Bibles, a lot of them might not have died of typhoid or... <laughs> Or you wow. know, waterborne disease, or whatever the case may be, and uh, but but you, I, I'm sort of coming back full circle on the issue of privilege, uh, and for some people, the issue of privilege is okay. I have the resources to help. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be the one who's going to go and right. and spend my life uh, in a small village in India or in Haiti or wherever the case may be. But I do have the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. I can help the people that are called to that. And so I, you know, being called privilege is, is somewhat of a pejorative term today. I think Christians need to be aware uh, from a theological standpoint right. of the riches of Christ's glory that Paul talks Amen. about primarily in Ephesians uh, and, and the theological privilege that gives and what undergirds mm-hmm. that privilege is Christ's love for the world, mm. Christ's love for the world, uh, redemption doing our part as the people of God. So that, you know, that, that, I've, I've just been sort of pondering the intersection mm-hmm. of these different kinds of biographies of, of these particular women, uh, amazing women uh, that, uh, that I've been reading recently besides uh, other things. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hear you speak about that, and my mind goes to a couple words. One is stewardship. Uh, what, what are we going to do with what we have right. that, that right. We, we are privileged regardless of our scenario? We have a role to play. Uh, we have an assignment to to carry out. And how am I going to do that? How am I going to be faithful to that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the book of James, James talks about it, and really all through Scripture, uh, the rich and really in, this, in the grand scope of the world. The three of us on this 
interview. We're rich. I mean, seriously. We are incredibly wealthy. More wealthy than... There's 8 billion people on this planet. And and we're in the... I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't know what percentage, but it's certainly in the top, you know, 90% plus mm-hmm. of people in the world. I mean, I don't worry about where I'm going to sleep tonight. Sure. I got a cough like this. I... You know, I don't worry about where I'm going to go get the medicine that I need. And uh, uh, the the protest all through Scripture against the rich uh, is through the Old Testament prophets and, and through the New Testament uh, prophetic voices. The voice of Jesus is is using those resources for our own self stewardship rather than using them as a blessing. That doesn't mean that that we shouldn't live. You know, given given the culture in which we live and the context, uh, I mean, even even Paul, when he writes, he says, so, "So what if you sell all your goods and give them to the poor and you don't have love?" I mean, so what? Mm-hmm. Uh, just just doing something that's that's careless in a sense doesn't uh, doesn't really doesn't become stewardship. And and you're right about that word. How to provide and, and guide of the blessings and the resources we have for the glory of God, uh, rather than using it for covenants. I, I read, uh, I read different writers uh, on a pretty regular basis. Uh, one is, uh, one is David French. Uh, I, I enjoy reading French. I don't always agree with him, but I, he comes from an angle that's thoughtful to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other is Jonah Goldberg. And Goldberg was talking about, he made this comment. I, it, it really struck me, and I, I sort of put it on I, on my phone and my uh, iCloud uh, notes and stuff like that. I keep a list of illustrations. So I pulled some of these up so I wouldn't forget them. It, in a recent article, I think it was back, uh, back sometime in November, he wrote, be careful what you covet. He said, coveting is different from mere desire or ambition. Coveting is... It's an emotional state, much like lust and envy, that drives you to ignore good advice and your own conscience. I thought that's a pretty good insight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the, towards the end of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. Very simple Hebrew words, just laid out there. Paul says in Romans 7, I would not have known what coveting is if the law had not told me. Why did he pick that sin to identify? Hmm. He didn't say I would not know what idolatry is, although I think one can argue that coveting is its own form of idolatry. He didn't say he didn't say I would not know what murder is. Uh, I would not have known what uh, stealing is or adultery. He says I would not have known what it meant to covet if, if Torah, if the Ten Commandments had not, Come at some point in my life, I heard the commandment, and as he puts it, it brought condemnation to me because it revealed how wrong I am. It showed me something about myself that I couldn't fix. And somebody has to come and fix this. Mm. Well, we know who that somebody is. Yeah. And it's Jesus who fulfills the law. And uh, so, anyway, I. <clears throat> Uh, I, you guys have been very kind. You let me sort of run off and run my own track. Well, that's, Doug, that's uh, what we wanted you to do. We want to hear your voice. Uh, we just appreciate you serving as the bishop 
of the fellowship that we're a part of, uh, and you're making such a positive difference. Um, and, and we'll end this. Uh, we'll end this conversation, and we'll have you on our next our next episode also. But uh, the way to end best is again to thank you. Um, you know, we we are grateful that you are serving mm-hmm. as the bishop. You know, the general superintendent of the fellowship. Uh, but I'm also so thankful for your heart. Uh, I think often of the fact that that I am here today doing what I'm doing for the building of the kingdom because you mentored me. Uh, Tracy and I talk about that a lot, about mentoring and, and finding ways to think about life with the next step in mind. And you've been a great example for us and for many people. So we'll talk to you again for the next episode. But uh, and maybe let's, 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 let's talk some about the mentoring thing when we get to the next episode. That'll be, that'll some be thoughts about that. Yeah. That'll be perfect. So thank you again for helping us learn ways to make our next steps our best steps. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Check out our show notes for more information regarding guest contact information. Chris Maxwell's 11th book, Equilibrium, 31 Ways to Stay Balanced on Life's Uneven Services, is available now at www.chrismaxwell.me or Amazon, where you can find all of Chris's previous books as well. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. You can find their new musical releases at www.casualamericans.com or at your favorite music suppliers. We release Next Steps Leadership each Thursday, so join us again next week on the Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.